Welcome in. Unfortunately, it's another episode of the Doyle and Derek podcast. And I say unfortunately, because if you're listening on audio right now, you're thinking to yourself, what do you mean unfortunately? This is a great show. I love listening to this every week. Um, I'm going to throw this video up on YouTube and you can see Greg's friend who made his debut on our pod, I don't know, a couple of months ago, right, Greg? And unfortunately, even though I said that I would walk off the next time that the snake made an appearance on this show, I am still here. I'm going to fulfill my professional obligation, but I'm going to try to look at this screen as few times as possible during the next half an hour or so, because I just don't want to see that thing. I want you to understand. Well, you would have gotten your wish a couple days ago. Um, this is my son, Snake, okay? And, and keep in mind, my son, Jackson, my younger boy, was here. The COVID drove him away from college at Bowling Green. He came here for a couple months. He's back with his mom right now in Ohio um, and his brother. But when he left, he left me with his cat, Marms, and this snake, Hogarth. Well, the cat was like 15 years old, and the cat died. Um, we put the cat down, actually. Jackson came back, and we put him down, Marms down. And, and I wrote about that, very emotional. That was about a month ago. Well, a couple days ago, um, I'm checking on Snakey, just because I check on him every day, a couple times a day. And there's a, there's a rock in there, and he curls up in there. But I'm thinking, I haven't seen him a couple days. Is he, did he die in that rock? I lift the rock up and he's not there. And this guy's four feet long and oh he's not God. in his cage. He's gone, Derek. And you've not seen me freak out until you've <laughs> seen me. And I'm not freaked out because, oh, my God, there's a snake loose in my apartment. I'm scared. No, I'm freaked out because, oh, my God, did I just lose Jackson's other pet? How'd this damn thing get out? And where is he? And uh, so... I went searching for him for, obviously, I went searching for him everywhere I could find, everywhere. I mean, everywhere. Couldn't find him, couldn't find him. I go out on the deck of my apartment. I'm looking down in the grass like, did he just get away? Is he slithering away? I mean, he's been gone for days, as far as I know. Finally, I think, well, maybe this guy's, you know, he's pretty muscular. Maybe he found a way to, I mean, he got out of his damn cage. The cage is still closed. He, it's, it's Tupperware. He pried it open. But anyway, um, I opened the closet in, in the bedroom, and there he is curled up in the bottom of the closet, I didn't open it first because I thought the door's closed. You can't get in there. You can't get underneath. I don't. I mean, the damn thing's Houdini. So uh, anyway, you've never seen someone happier to see a four foot snake curled up in their oh, garage God. in their in their closet. And when I saw this guy, uh, in all seriousness, were you afraid at all? Because you have other animals in the house. Like, is that the type of snake that would go after a cat or something like that? Or can can you hear? Are they Theodore not capable meowing? of doing that? Can you hear Theodore well, meowing right now? I know that he did not eat your cat. I, I came to that conclusion from hearing the cat meowing in the background, but were you at all concerned about that? Serious well, question. Yes, I was. Oh, well, I mean, once Theodore was alive, so I knew, well, wherever the damn snake is, my cat's sure. alive because my cat yeah. sleeps with me. Um, my cat's so stupid. He's sitting down. Obviously, I got the snake right now around my neck. The cat, so I'm stupid. Uh, it's a boa constrictor around my neck, but or a ball python, actually. But um, Theodore's on the floor right below us. Meow. He wants me to in my lap. Like, Theodore, this thing will eat you. But um, <laughs> I asked my son Jackson, you know, for future reference, if this, if he gets away again, you know, is, is Theodore in danger? Like, actually, what I said was, thank God Theodore was okay. And he wrote mm -hmm. back, Dad, it's a ball python, not a boa constrictor, LOL. Like, that's a difference to me. <laughs> like, I know what that means. All I know is yeah. they both squeeze things to death. That's all I need to know. Um, yeah, a snake is a snake, man. You know, for I, I would be panicking, but I get that. I, whenever you take possession of a, a loved one's 
things or pets or whatever, I understand the stress of that. So I can picture you panicking until, of course, you found the ball python there in the closet. But well, and again, man, I, I couldn't about, have that thing in my house. Remember Marms, the cat, and how Marms mm-hmm. died a month ago. That was his pet. He's got two pets. And did I kill them both? And I didn't kill Marms. Marms was just 15. But still, sure. I can't have my apartment be the apartment of death for him. And, <laughs> and that would have happened had Snakey gotten away. This is actually the second time I found one of Jackson's snakes. Um, seven or eight years ago, maybe he's still in high school. Or like maybe eighth grade. I'm, I'm still living in Ohio. I don't have this job yet. Not divorced yet. And he has a garter snake he caught in the backyard with his hands because that's what he does. And he... Uh, I mean, he's a biology major. He's worked at Indianapolis Zoo. I mean, he's he's going places in the animal. He is in the animal world as a college kid, kind of like what people like me were as sports writers. Like there are some of us that you just kind of knew you're going to have a pretty good job someday. You know, and I was one of those guys. There's there's a lot of us like that. But you you know what you know. Jackson's going to be, you know, 10 years from now when he's got a famous kind of animal job. Okay, it's it's pretty obvious. But anyway, um, so he had a snake. Well, that snake like this one poked free and got out of his cage one day and he didn't know it. And but that snake, the gar snake, went missing for like two weeks, and so we thought, well, it got into a you know an air conditioning vent, it's gone. And one day I'm yeah. coming home, and I, I come home actually, and we had a staircase, two story house staircase. So it's like 15 stairs all the way up. There's no turn, no left turn, right turn, it's just a straight staircase up. So you walk up the stairs, you walk up six or seven stairs, and even though you're still halfway up the staircase, your eyeballs are now at eye level, ground level of the floor above. And I'm walking up the stairs one day, and after about six, seven stairs. My eyes are now at floor level on the floor above, and there's a snake curled up in the in the hallway. And, uh, you know, luckily, because I knew we had a missing snake, I knew what it was, and I went and scooped him up and put him in the cage. But <laughs> that's not – I mean, you don't, you don't normally want to see snakes loose in your place. I've, this is the second time now in 10 yeah. years I've seen a snake loose in my place, but both times I was very happy. That's the understatement of the century. You don't want a snake <laughs> loose in your house. Yes, I, I 100% agree with that. Um, so you're going to put the snake away, right? So we can get to the podcast. Cause I, yes, I don't want to see I am. And are you going to, yes. Are you going to start, uh, like talking and I'll just put it away and come back? Yeah, gonna... I mean, I, I just wanted to start talking about TJ Warren and obviously I know you've got some things to say about TJ Warren, but yeah, man, you know, in the moment, I think sometimes we overreact Greg, but 53 points, 53 points. That's only happened a handful of times in Pacers NBA history. I mean, we're talking about 40, 50 years. And for TJ Warren to put in that performance in the first game back, I didn't want to overreact in the moment. But that was really, and I've been watching Pacers. I mean, I've been watching Pacers basketball since I was a a little kid and and following the Pacers-Knicks rivalry from the other side growing up a big Knicks fan. But since I've been following the Pacers, so really the last 20 years, and since I've been covering the Pacers, which has been about the last 15 years, that was the single greatest offensive performance that I've ever seen from an Indiana Pacer. I mean, that was incredible what he did the other night. I've seen it a few times, uh, not, not from a Pacer. Um, you know, before here I was at CBS, and before that I was at the uh, at, at Charlotte covering Duke and Carolina. You know, I would compare it very favorably to um, – Carson Edwards in the, in the NCAA tournament a couple years ago. Yeah. And I, I granted he only, and I say only, he only scored 40. It wasn't 50 something, but it was also eight fewer minutes. But um, it's one of those games that they both had. And I've seen, um, and he's, TJ Warren is not as good as LeBron. Okay. But I've seen LeBron score 50 something. I was there. I saved the box score, actually. I've got two box scores I've ever saved in my entire life. That's one of them. It's, it's that kind of game. I, I've seen Kobe score 50. 
didn't say that box score. I wish I had. Um, one of those games LeBron had in the playoffs against the Pistons in 2007, I think, Carson Edwards and then TJ. One of those games where by the end of the game, you, every time he shoots, it's going in. You know it's going in, and you know you're watching something special because it's 47, 50, 53. I mean, you know, you know it. So, anyway, it's one of those games where uh, it's very rare when, when you have a game where you just know when he shoots it, it's in, and it was that game. Were you at the, so you were at the game five at the palace? The, the, that was really LeBron's first holy bleep moment of his career in 2007 in the conference finals. Scored, scored Cleveland's last 25 points, I think. Yeah, something, just something stupid. Yeah, and they beat the Pistons in double overtime. He had 52 or three or something. Yeah, I was there for that game. And that was, and that was an honor, right? That's, that's why I saved that box score. It was an honor to be there. I knew what I was watching in real time and, it's hard to write a game like that. It's hard to write a game like Carson Edwards scoring 40. Um, granted, Carson Edwards scoring 40 was in the tournament. Um, LeBron was in, you know, the NBA playoffs. So watch, I, I watched, I wasn't there, but I wrote about TJ scoring. It's not the same. It's, it's not, it's not hard to write about TJ scoring 53 in, in the second game of an NBA restart. That's, that's fun. There's pressure writing about LeBron doing what he did, writing about Carson, because you know, that was history. What we just watched, I mean, TJ was history, yes, but, there's a special place in history for these games in the postseason. And uh, and same thing, I was at Doug McDermott's senior night at Creighton, 2000, I don't know, 13 maybe. And it was senior night, and his dad's the coach. And on senior night, he broke the, the scoring record for the arena and for the Creighton team. And, and passed 3,000. He needed like 38 to pass 3,000 in his last game at home. Last game at home, he wants to, if he's going to bring, he's going to get 3,000 in the tournament when he goes, but. He wants it at home. So he needs like 40 or something. He needs 40 to get 3,000. He needs 42 to break this record. Forty, And he does it all. And I'm watching that game going, holy SHI. How am I going to write? Because this is too big. And it's on deadline. And I can't pot. Anyway, those are the games that are so much fun, except for the five minutes when you're writing the story. But otherwise, yeah, these are special things. And TJ Warren's game, I don't mean to downplay that. That was, I mean, he's a bucket getter. He scored, what did he score yesterday? 34 or something? I mean, he's, yeah, he's hot. Yeah. And Mark Monteith, who's kind of the unofficial Pacers historian, uh, pointed out that it's the second highest back-to-back game total in Pacers history. I, I think Billy Knight, NBA history, I think Billy Knight did it uh, sometime in the, you know, right after they, they moved over to the NBA in the 70s and the very early 80s. But, you know, that point total, 53 plus 34, I wasn't a math major at IU, what is that, 87 points in two games? I think Knight had 89 or something like that. So it's, it's incredible. And he's had an incredible season, Greg. I mean, you think about it, the Pacers basically got him for free. They threw Phoenix some cash, but really the motivation in the deal for Phoenix was they wanted to free up another max slot. And so it was a salary dump for them. They wanted to get out from under the three years left on Warren's deal, which was very manageable. I think he's making $12 million a year, which in today's NBA is nothing, especially for a productive player. And the guy's only 27 years old. I mean, this was – this was a gift from the basketball gods that TJ Warren just kind of fell into the Pacers lap and it allowed them to let Boyan Bogdanovich move on for 20 million a year or whatever he signed for and, and get a younger replacement. Who's just as capable. Yeah. And there's a reason Phoenix is Phoenix. You know, there's a reason, and there's a reason the Pacers despite, I mean, Phoenix is the kind of market where they can, they can go get a player, a player like, I don't know, a, a max contract free agent will go to Phoenix someday. They're the kind of market that you'll get that guy. Um, Indiana hasn't got done it yet, and we'll see. Um, so, but there's a reason Phoenix is Phoenix. 
that they would let T.J. Warren go like that. But also, also one thing that the Pacers have that Phoenix doesn't have as far as coaching goes, and it's not all Dan Burke. I mean, Nate McMillan is a defensive guy. I mean, Dan Burke is the defensive coordinator, and I mean, he's brilliant. We know that. But sure. it takes two. And T.J. Warren was allegedly, just like Bogdanovich was allegedly, a guy that couldn't defend anybody. It's amazing how people come here and all of a sudden they play defense. And it's not because they were overlooked wherever they were and now the world sees. No, no, it's because they come here and they learn how to do it. And yeah. T.J. Warren can play defense. And I'm not saying he's a stomper. He's not an all-defensive uh, team guy. But he's not a guy that better score 40 because he's going to give up 38. That's not who he is at all. So credit to the Pacers, credit to the coaching staff, and credit to T.J. for figuring out who he is and figuring out what he needs to do and getting better at it. And I like the fact, too, Greg, I think there's always some risk when you take a player who has only been in a losing situation his entire career and put up numbers in a losing situation and put him in a winning situation and change his role. And it's paid off for the Pacers. It didn't pay off with Tyreek Evans. Remember, you know, Evans played for losers his entire life. And it's been, you know, as my former co-host, Jake Query, said, uh, a 25-20 guy where you'd score 25 points per game for a 20-win team. And then he came here and he was still, you know, and, and I know Tyreek's got some of his own personal issues that he's had to deal with that, that TJ doesn't have. But that that was really what concerned me about Warren being thrust into this situation here was that he had done a lot of losing and been in a poor situation before. Now you change the entire dynamic around him. But, man, he is he's flourished. And when, when David West vouches for you, then I think you've got a, a good idea of who the player you're getting is going to be. Well, I love what all the players say about TJ is they call him a bucket, and they, but, but they they say respectfully that he's not kind of like us. He doesn't want to go out and have fun. He doesn't want to go out and – I'm sure he's a cool guy, but he's not that kind of a cool guy that he just – I mean, he just – he's basketball. He's a basketball nerd. He's a gym rat. And there aren't that many of them in the NBA because once you start making that kind of money and, and, and there's a lot of things pulling at you, and there's business interests and there's fame and there's all this, it's, it's really hard to lock in. But mm-hmm. Jay Michael's story that night was really good, and, and I learned uh, about that. Learned about TJ is that he's the one guy that you could look at on, the, on this team, and not that the other guys couldn't lock in, but he's the most likely guy can handle the restart in Orlando just fine because if it's all basketball all the time, that's TJ's world. Yeah. And real quick about Tyreek, I want to pile on him while I can. Um, the first time I saw him play, and I don't know if this is the Pacers' first game or what, um, I need to go Google that and find what I wrote, but it was just a sentence or two. I didn't write a whole story about Tyreek, but I wrote, he doesn't belong here. I mean, you can just tell he, he didn't, he had the ball in his hands and it was one on five always. And I don't know how he got five or six assists a game earlier in his career. Maybe he got him the same way Allen Iverson got him, which is if the ball's in your hands all the time, you can't possibly shoot every time. Every now and then the ball's going to, you're just going to pass to somebody and they're going to hit a shot. So you're going to get an assist out of it. But Tyreek is a ball hog. Tyreek didn't care about anybody but Tyreek, not from day one. Not day one. TJ, you can see TJ is, is a gifted scorer, but he never forces anything. It's never forced. Yeah, I just feel bad with I can't help but be empathetic towards, yes, Tyreek Evans, the basketball player I was never really a fan of, and the Pacers took a flyer and it didn't work, but the the issues and, and he's got to be, he's got to own up to his own personal responsibilities. Look, you got suspended and drugs of abuse, you can't do it. But, you know, seeing people go through addiction and all of that and and you wonder how much that kind of played into what really just wasn't a a season that ever got off the ground for him last year here. And I I do hope that 
Tyreek, the person, finds his way, even if the basketball player is, you know, the, the 25 points for a 21 team kind of a guy because that's who he's always been. Yeah, um, Paul, real quick, real, I'm sorry, before you move on, I, I don't – yeah, I you're right about all of that. And, uh, and I hope that Tyreek's – I hope that what I just said about Tyreek – what he, the way he played wasn't impacted by the drugs because then I'm just a total jackal. No, uh, I, maybe, maybe I'm a jackal anyway. I, I don't, I, I just like you, I got empathy for the guy's struggles entirely, completely, totally. He's been that guy his entire career. So yes. I, I think I, having a conversation about Tyreek Evans, the basketball player, is going to differ from the conversation about, you know, Tyreek Evans, the person, just like any other human being. Well said. Um, the last time that we talked, because I was off last week, uh, we weren't sure yet whether Victor Oladipo was going to play in the bubble, but he was starting to waffle. Um, he plays kind of an unspectacular game against Philadelphia. T.J. Warren clearly outshone everybody else anyway. Uh, did not play last night in their win. Um, now we're going to kind of, I think, treat this as a day-to-day thing. However, Victor's feeling is if, if he's going to play if he's not going to play. But he kind of took a thinly veiled shot at the media. I know that you didn't like what he had to say. You brought it up in your... Last column. Um, what do you think overall about Oladipo's decision? First off, to play, and then, and then secondly, just kind of how he's handled this whole thing. Well, to be to be clear, Oladipo has spoke to, has spoken to the media twice now in the last week, and has taken a shot at the media both times. The, what he said after the game about the about the TJ Warren game, and he was great. And I wrote, I wrote in my story, I, I tweeted out, I sent a bad tweet out. You know, it was almost, I mean, in hindsight, you know, it's one of those things you don't, in real time, you're not thinking this, but in hindsight, it was a clickbait tweet. I said, you know, TJ scores 53, but Oladipo had a Paul Paul George-like rant after the game. It wasn't a Paul George-like rant. It was a Paul George-like comment he made. But as I wrote in my story, he was great in the in the interview. He was funny and, and laughing and joking with people, and he wasn't being moody or pouty or anything. Um, and he was congratulating all his teammates for having a, an important role in the game. But then at the very end, he took a question about, you know, just how's your knee doing and turned it into us. We know, I know what you guys did last, you know, and the time before that, he did a similar shot. And there are people listening because there are people, people do this. They, they, they just, people cannot hear something like that and, and imp, input all the facts. All they hear is, oh, you're mad because he took a No, no, listen, I'm not, I'm not mad at him at all. I'm disappointed in him. Um, but it's the kind of thing Paul George did. And we didn't like Paul George around here. And I want to point this out. Um, who's the – well, you're not going to know. I don't know. The first guy around here that was on to Paul George, the first guy, even after the stripper and after all the crap, the, the, the first media guy that was just all over Paul George was me when he was here. I didn't like him. And I could tell he's not our kind of guy. He's not – he's selfish. He's – I didn't like him. And made that very clear. And Pacers fans tuned me out and unfollowed me. And I don't like you. And he's so mean. No, I'm not so mean. Paul George is a jerk. And I saw it first. Don't get mad at me for that. Um, and it'd be nice if all those folks who unfollowed me back then would come back. Because the only reason you unfollowed me is because I was mad, mean to Paul George. Well, now you agree with me. Come back. Now, when I say victors like Paul George, I am not saying. Because there's a big gulf between having a few moments that are reminiscent of Paul George and being like Paul George. He's not... He's not that. I don't hate – I didn't hate Paul George. I didn't like Paul George. I don't dislike Victor. I still like him, but I'm starting to get worried. I'm starting – you know, we've seen a couple things from him, and, and, and not just the shots of the media, but the fact that he would, he would let a reporter for The Athletic or whoever Shams writes for – I like Shams, but 
he would leak it that I'm not playing anymore. The Pacers found out on Twitter. Victor Oladipo, after all the Pacers have done for him, and after all he's done for the Pacers, the the, the marriage such as it is that he and Kevin Pritchard have, you're going to let Pritchard know you're not playing anymore through Twitter? That's a Paul George move. And then and then to change your mind, to waffle, and to come back, he's only back because the NBA said the Pacers can't give you $3 million in your contract. They, they want to give you $3 million, but the NBA said, we're not going to let them pay you if you just don't play. That's the only reason he's playing. Everybody knows that. Um, and that's okay, but that's a Paul George kind of thing to do. So I, I'm just seeing too many Paul George-like things out of him after for two years seeing the prince, the Lion King. He was awesome, and he still can be awesome, and I hope he turns it around. And I know the injury shook him. The injury shook him. I think the addition of Malcolm Brogdon shook him off the court, shook him a little bit. But I, I want I want the old Vic. Because I've never liked a player as much as I like the old Vic. I just about haven't. And you're not going to see a bigger homer than me for the last two years about the old Vic. I've been kissing his butt for two years. I just don't like what I'm seeing now, and my job is to point it out. But I hope I hope we get the guy back. I think him and Paul are, are different, as you said. I think where the situation is similar is Paul George was a nobody when he came here. No one knew who Paul George was. Nobody, you know, nobody watched him play at Fresno State for two years. Uh, you saw him in, in the workout with the Pacers, and you thought, oh, man, this guy's really athletic. I think he's got a chance to be a lottery pick. But that's about the extent of what people knew about Paul George. Victor Oladipo came here, and people knew of him because he was a star at Indiana. But Victor Oladipo spent the first, whatever it was, five years of his career being just the guy. You know, he was, he was all right in Orlando. He was okay. Oklahoma City, I thought he was a little bit of a disappointment, especially considering that he signed that big extension before then. And he put he up Tyreek really... Evans numbers. He had Tyreek yeah. Evans numbers for a couple years before he came here. You're he right. was a Tyreek yeah. kind of guy. He got his, but what was he? And he never really fit in with Russell Westbrook, and we came to learn that it was hard for anybody to fit in with Russell Westbrook, <laughs> right? So maybe we shouldn't have given him a hard time for that. But then, you know, he, he became a, a big star. Paul George became a big star. And then there's an adjustment period because, holy crap, I'm, I was just a guy, and now I'm this big star. So I think it's fine for Victor Oladipo to have an ego. I think it's fine for him to have a, an inner circle that he trusts and gets advice from. I think it's fine for him to focus on getting paid and getting his. These guys are tapped into their brand and how they're perceived and how to maximize their earnings during what is really, in the grand scheme of, a, of, of human life, a very short window. I mean, you've got seven to ten years, if you're lucky, to kind of maximize and, and get yours. Um, but I just, I, anytime a guy creates his own situation and then gets mad for everyone's reaction in that situation, it always makes me kind of laugh because Oladipo's mad at what? He's mad at a situation that, how we reacted to a situation he created. The Pacers never told him he had to make a decision right then. They told him, come down to Orlando, see how you feel. If you play, great. If you don't want to play, great. They left that completely up to him. So when he came out with this decision through his mouthpiece or whatever and went through shams, that was Victor's decision. That wasn't my decision. That wasn't your decision. And I think that's what people had a problem with. Um, Oladipo, to me, is a guy that is going to just focus on I, – I think even though he's playing in the bubble, I think the focus is on next season. And I think it should be because that's the big year for Oladipo. He's got to come back prove that he's fully healthy over a real season, not just this bubble restart thing, and try to get paid at 29 years old. And the Pacers have to make a decision. Do we part with him before the trade deadline, or do we risk it that he's going to sign an extension with us coming up this summer? But 
you know, how he's handled this situation so far, I, I would say the Shams thing was a little bit of a misstep. I don't think it was Paul George at the softball game level. Um, every, everybody who's listening to this knows exactly what I'm talking about, how he handled this situation. But we, I, I just hope whatever decision he makes, I'm cool with. I just hope that he handles it properly and that he's getting the right advice. And I'm not 100% sure that he's always getting the right advice. Uh, and I, I wrote that two weeks ago. He's not getting the right advice. His, his advisors around him, they're they're young. They could get better. I'm not saying they're incompetent and, and overmatched. Well, they are overmatched. But they're young. He's got an agent and a a, a manager, a personal manager, you know, a, a guy that just his only job is being Victor's manager. Those two guys have never had a player like Victor ever, the agent or the manager. They've never had one. And so this is their first time with a guy of this caliber. And they're making and, – and LeBron was the same way when he came out of high school and he made the decision. He left Cleveland. He'd been in the NBA for six years, and all his agents and people around him were all his high school classmates, and they were – I mean, you look at them now, they're all smart, brilliant, rich guys. But – 10 years ago, they weren't equipped, and they let LeBron make a terrible decision to leave the Cavaliers on national TV with the Boys and Girls Club as human body shields. That was horrible, and people hated LeBron for that. And we're all over it, but that was bad. But they all got better, and Victor's people will get better. But in the meantime, it's a misstep. About Paul George's thing, you know, I've, as I've made it very clear, I don't like Paul George. That softball thing was our fault. That was our fault. You know, And the media, we can do this. We can write a story in a certain way, and, and everybody reads it that way. And then they, if, if we miss what was said, really, readers are going to miss what was said, really, because we're going to present it this way. Paul said, Paul, what Paul said was, I'm a pacer right now. That's what he said. He made it very, and I wrote like a couple days later, when he, I mean, I, he made it very clear that I don't really want to be here, but I am here. So I'm a pacer right now. I thought he was clear as he could be that, that this is temporary. But everybody heard the words, I'm a pacer, and ran with it. And that was our fault, including the Indy Star. And I wrote a couple days later, we screwed that one up. That was our fault. I just think, I just think you could have deflected better than that, considering that, uh, if, if my timeline is correct, fewer than 48 hours after that, he's yes. calling his agent, telling him, I want out. You know what I mean? So at that point, you don't just wake up the next day and decide that that ball is already rolling. So I didn't expect Paul George to come out and say, yeah, you know what? I'm forcing my way out of Indiana this week and um, you guys enjoy me because this is the last time I'm going to be in the victory field. Dugout. Like, I'm not expecting him to say that, but I, I thought he could have deflected a little bit better. I think that the track record with Paul George, Greg, was not was not being honest. It was telling everybody True. what he thought they wanted to hear. Yes. And I don't think Oladipo has been dishonest about this. I and look, I, I think we're making a little bit of a mountain out of a molehill because Oladipo had been an A plus plus, a perfect student, yes, for the entire time here. And he, okay, he, I think, had a little bit of a misstep with how he handled announcing that. The timing of it was odd. The handling of it with everything about it was strange. It doesn't make him a terrible guy. I just think that it was poorly handled. I'm just interested to see how the rest of the way goes, because if he leaves, there are going to be some people that never forgive him for it, regardless of how he handles it, because that's how fans are. But I do think that he saw what happened with the Paul George situation. And because of his ties to IU and all that, even if he does leave, I, I don't think he wants to burn down the entire you know, crop uh, on his way out like PG did. True, and I just hope that he, I hope that he can avoid doing that. Because right now, the, the Shams thing... <clears throat> Um, you're right. It wasn't Mount. We're, I'm not sure we're making a mountain out of a molehill. That's a pretty big thing to let your team know you're not playing in their playoff push through Twitter. That's a pretty big misstep. But then, but then to to follow that up with, because I mean, we all have hiccups. We all, you know, 
we all have a on the golf course you pull a ball in the trees we're all going to do that even tiger woods will do that but then to attack the media in his last in his only two talks with us since then to say it's our fault to make it clear that he's down on us like uh, wait a minute i mean just that's just a bit much it's what well, what we're seeing is you're right he's a great guy he's he was an a plus plus guy he's phil nicholson he's tiger woods here personality wise tiger woods but he's hit three balls in the trees now and does he have the yips is he gonna is he gonna get better is he gonna start driving the ball straight and be who he was or is he gonna be in the trees now for a while because that's no fun and i think the media and maybe i'm just speaking for you and me greg i think for the most part i'm very pro player so you know the the you know, I'm not going to use the word attack, but critiquing us when really what you see on Twitter is from fans. Like the, the people that knee jerk to Paul George, those were the fans. That, that wasn't me. I didn't knee jerk to Paul George because Oladipo made that. I defended it. I was actually happy with the fact that he was sitting out because I thought it was the right decision. Um, but there was just no reason to make that decision at the time. The, the whole thing, I, I, I just, somebody needs to explain to me what the motivation was to announce it the week before. It just didn't make any sense. I just want to remind folks really quickly that the day he announced, well, the day that Shams broke it and Twitter went nuts, mad at Old Depot, I wrote 1,500 words saying, good for Vic. I'm mad at the Pacers that they that they should have made this decision instead and they should have taken the heat for this decision. Instead, Vic had to make it and I'm mad at, I'm mad at the Pacers for putting him in that spot and I'm mad at fans for being mad at him. I defended Old Depot that day, defended him. So... It, the, my point is, is that I, you know, but you don't get a blank check. You don't get a blank check from me, from fans, from anybody. You know, we can love you, love you, love you, but you got to keep earning it, and you don't have to keep being a hero to earn it. Just don't be Paul George. And he's had some, some Paul George moments, and again, he can fix it and turn it around. It's not too late, but it's going to require some humility. Just like I've screwed up, and I, I posted my story last night about Grace Now. And Grace Now had a great game last night, and I posted my story I wrote four years ago about Grace Now, and and how I understood who he was four years ago, why he was a jerk and, you know, kicking, blah, blah, blah. I wrote that I watch Grace now, and I see a lot of me, at least me 10 years ago. Um, it takes a little bit of, I mean, I was a jerk, it, but it takes a little bit of humility, a little bit to realize, wow, I'm not perfect. I'm a jerk, yeah. and uh, let me fix this. And I'm not calling Vic a jerk, but you've got to look at some things and say, I'm not perfect, let me fix this. And I hope he fixes it. He's smarter than I am. He's smart enough to fix it. I hope he does. You know, the nice thing about the NBA is that we've talked about T.J. Warren, we've talked about Oladipo, and I've seen a lot of the conversations about, you know, the Lakers clinching the one seed. And all of the storylines have been about basketball and not coronavirus because I don't want to get too cart in front of the horse because anything can happen, right? We saw it with the Marlins where you've got one person or one team screwing things up for everybody else. But so far, I'm very impressed, Greg, with this NBA bubble. I was really skeptical that this whole thing was going to work, especially in the middle of a hot spot in Florida. But kudos to the league so far because the first two weeks, I think, have gone about just as perfectly as you could have hoped for. I have no idea. Is that too loud in the background? Can you no, hear that? Okay. Yeah. I have no idea um, how the players have been so good. Um, they're human, and they're human, and they're pro athletes, and pro athletes are used to a certain amount of road enjoyment. And maybe they're getting it anyway. But that's where you thought this was going to fall apart. The players, they're going to stay in the bubble. They're going to in the hotel room and, and, and the arena and blah, blah, blah. But the key is the hotel room. Well, who's going to be in there with them? You know, who's going to, who are they going to call? And I mean, players have fun on the road. And uh, I just thought that's where it's going to fall apart. Someone's going to come into a road, uh, a player's room, give that player the sickness, the virus. He's going to go to the locker room. It's going to, seven guys are going to have it. And there you go. I mean, that's what happened with the Marlins. They were out in Atlanta 
before Philadelphia, they clearly went out or had people come in, whatever, and they all got sick. I'm amazed that the NBA players have behaved themselves, A, or B, even if they have behaved themselves, have avoided, because it's just a lottery shot. It's just a Russian roulette game of are you going to get the virus or not if you're, if you're around people. Have they really been avoiding people? I mean, maybe so. I'm impressed. But you look at what's happening with baseball. You look at what's happening with the NFL, how many players have tested positive, and they haven't even started hitting yet. You know, and they haven't even started going home to their families, and their families are out in the world living their lives and bringing yeah. back the virus to their home. And the, so, you know, a, a cult might get it from his kid. His kid goes somewhere and gets it. The kid comes home, gives it to the cult. The cult goes home and gives it to 14 players. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't think the NFL is going to work just because they're not in the bubble. And the virus is just, we're learning, it's just much harder to deal with than we even thought. And we knew it was hard from day one, but it's actually harder than we thought. Harder. Yeah, I, I just think when, when I see what's happening with baseball, I think what is hurting them and what's going to really hurt the NFL is the travel aspect. You know, and the NBA, yes, it's smaller rosters, so it's easier to control, but the NBA had it right. Let's put everything in a firmly controlled bubble and control it as much as we can. This whole thing where you're flying, baseball teams are flying to D.C. and then they're flying to Baltimore and then they're flying to California. Like, it's it just, it's not going to work. Guys are going to want to stray out of the hotel rooms. They're going to get cabin fever. Um, and I really worry about the NFL because if baseball can't figure this out with the travel, I, I think the travel aspect of it, Greg, is what's going to doom this thing. I wouldn't be surprised if the baseball season shut down. You can even quote me on this in the next two weeks or so because I, I just don't know. They're on such a tight window. I don't know how they're going to make up the games. I mean, right now the Marlins have to play, I think, 55 games in 56 days. Like, how the hell do you even do that? Yeah, well, I don't see um, I don't see baseball lasting two weeks. Actually, if I had to, you know, if I had if I had to put money on it, not just making a, a prediction, but if someone said put money on it, how long do they last? I I, I don't know, not two weeks, uh, maybe ten days tops. I think the NFL the, the travel won't be a problem for the NFL. I don't think because so, baseball they travel, they have a two, three, four game road trip. They're in the hotel room for for days at a time, nights That's at a time. Yep. Football, they're gonna fly in day four game. And they're going to have on lockdown overnight, and they're going to fly out from the locker room. I don't think travel's the problem with football. I think the problem with football is is just that they're not in a bubble here. I think the only way the NFL can save itself is to do something they haven't done yet. They need all 32 teams, 32 of them, need to create a bubble. So here for the Colts, the Colts need to find a hotel somewhere as close to 56th Street as possible. It really doesn't matter where it is, and and get several floors of that hotel. And, and that's theirs. And they need to be right now quarantine testing a handful of waiters and, and you know, cooks and whatever. Make sure they're, they're clean and put those people in a hotel. And, uh, and that's the only way. Because if you let these players go home to their families, they can stay home all night and get sick because their families aren't, you know, it just it, that's why it's not going to work. It's not, not going to work because of what happens when the Colts play the Chargers. It's going to happen – it's going to work. It's not going to work because what happens if the Colts go home after practice tomorrow? I thought it was interesting on the topic of coronavirus. Um, you had a really good column with your conversation with Anthony Costanzo, who was made available in media yesterday. And it's weird for me, Greg, because I've been around the team for so long. I remember when Anthony Costanzo was a doughy rookie whose parents ran an Italian restaurant in Illinois and liked to snack on calzones and then you know, over the course of time, he became a professional wrestler, basically, with his build. I mean, the dudes, I think you said in the column, is made out of bronze, but also just a really smart guy. And 
um, soon to be the longest tenured Colt, right? Because for all intents and purposes, they're moving on from Adam Vinatieri. So Anthony Costanza, the elder statesman of this team. Yeah, and, and not just a really smart guy, um, but a deep thinker as well. And and, and like I, I know a lot of people that are – I mean, a lot of people that are smarter than me, but I don't know hardly anybody that thinks about stuff more than I do. And I don't mean that in a necessarily good way. I mean, in fact, I don't mean it in a good way. I think too much. I – it's why I've got anxiety. I've got issues, but I, I think too much. And, uh, and, and a Costanzo thinks too much. You know, he, he's too hard on himself as a player. He's not perfect. And he beats himself up over it. And he's talked about that, that he beats himself up and his confidence takes a beating because of his own head telling him he's not good enough because he wasn't perfect in that game. He thinks too much. Uh, but when you think a lot and, and you're as smart as he is, and he's a biochemistry major, so he knows biology and chemistry. He knows the coronavirus dangers better than you and I know just just from surely from his intellect and his background but he also thinks a lot and he thought about opting out and 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 I don't I mean he didn't say this but he made it very I I basically asked him you didn't opt out but it's are you are you watching the news like I am I mean every day it gets worse and I, I kind of left it hanging but my point was you could opt out at any time and uh he said well we're all keeping our ears to the ground and uh anyway he I'm not saying he was suggest, predict, predicting he'll opt out. But if the NFL doesn't shut down, but this stuff gets worse, like what's happening in baseball right now, like you saw Lorenzo Cain opt out. He was playing, and then he mm-hmm. looked around and said, screw this, I'm done. Costanzo's a guy that I could see doing that someday. If it goes bad for the football and football doesn't shut down, there will be people that say, screw this, I'm done. If I had to pick a cult, most likely to be that guy, it'd be Costanzo, he just thinks so much, and I love the guy. Well, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, he had seriously considered retiring before this whole thing. But, you know, when the contract was up in January, I think he even admitted that he thought about walking away, kind of like what his best friend Andrew Luck did last year, and then decided whenever it was March or, you know, whenever they had the contract extension to sign on for two more years. And then, of course, the, the shutdown happened. And, you know, so you, you go through this personal thing and then you go through what what we're all going through with this pandemic. I, I can see why, you know, that was a consideration for him. But, um I, I am interested in the fact that the Colts didn't have anybody opt out so far. Um, I don't think that means that no one is going to opt out. Um, like you said, I think it's going to be a fluid situation for everybody involved. And um, it's just weird to me, Greg, that we're so close to the start of the season because everything doesn't feel normal right now. But um, the NFL has kind of approached this as business as usual as far as the offseason is concerned. I know that, you know, training camps have been shut down, but the calendar itself so far has remained intact. Um, I just wonder if there are going to be any adjustments. Do they – do they move things back? Do they uh, move up the end date? Um, or do they just kind of approach it to see how it goes here? Well, they've made some changes. I mean, and I, know, I know you know this, but they, to wipe out the entire preseason, that's a major calendar change, right? And you're right. Now, they haven't adjusted the timing of anything, but they've just removed stuff like, oh, we're not doing that. We're not doing yeah, that. Yeah, no, you're doing right. That. Yeah, OTAs, yeah, minicamp, yeah. All yeah, they, they've just taken stuff off the calendars as opposed mm-hmm. to moving it. Like, the Indy 500 got moved. They, the, the preseason just got canceled. Um, I find it, I, I don't know, um, the Colts might be the only team in the NFL to have neither a player opt out nor a player test positive yet. I know that 20, 20 or so teams have had guys test positive. More than 100 players have tested positive and coaches. Um, and then, I don't know, 15 teams maybe have had a guy opt out. The Colts have had neither, which is kind of remarkable. What I find really interesting, and I know there's a connection here, what is the team that has had the most players opt out by far? 
Do you know? You're gone. Sorry, I, I had my microphone muted there. Um, okay. Can you see me? No, it doesn't matter. Uh, I can't. What happened to my camera here? Well, I will finish. I'll keep, I'll keep saying you, you this one. Me? Yeah. Well, uh, okay, yeah. the Patriots. Right, right. Patriots. And yeah. do you really think... Do you really think it's a coincidence that the, that the team with the coach that the least likable coach in the NFL, the hardest driving coach, the most unforgiving coach, the coach that will trade you and fire you like this the second he, you know, does anybody, is it a coincidence that they're the team that have seen like 15% of their active roster, like eight out of 53 or whatever, have said, I'm out. Like, I, I know there's a Belichick factor in there somewhere. Like, I, this guy doesn't get my loyalty because I'm he's done with I'm gonna get a free year of service, a free service year, and a little bit of my money and keep my contract going for next year, but not not to play for this guy. No way. There's no that's not a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to get a, a deeper dive into that. anything involving the Patriots just fascinates me. You know, oh, yeah. uh, even with Brady gone, but that that whole dynamic with Belichick. Um, we, I had a lot of other stuff that I wanted to get to. We're actually at the 40 minute mark already. Um, but I did want to mention this because I just kind of stumbled upon this and I didn't think about it because everybody, I think mentally, you know, the last year or the last couple of months, it felt like years. Um, this week is the one year anniversary of this podcast. So we actually taped our first one first week of August last year. And Greg, think about all the crap that We've had this, you know, two weeks after we start our podcast, Andrew Luck retires right out of nowhere. And then the Colts go through their season and then the shutdown. And then we were off for a couple of weeks. And then the Oladipo situation, the bubble and the restart. But um, it's been a lot of fun, man. I, I, I've really loved doing this. And I'm excited about continuing here into year two. Uh-huh. Me too. And how about this real quick? The coronavirus has taught us, I think, the quality of our show. And I'm talking about for a purely sound point. We're doing it from home on Skype because we have to because the pandemic. We yeah. used to tape. We used to tape in a sound booth with microphones. You just this. The pandemic has taught all of us what we can do work-wise. We didn't need the offices like we thought we used to, right? I mean, no. Uh, so, but yeah, it's been. It's you've been. The, you're you're the best, and it's been an honor. And you make it easy. You make it easy. A guy like me oh, meets a guy like you. My girlfriend Whitney always says, I, "I don't. I hope Derek gets some sort of bonus pay for something just for, for dealing <laughs> with you, because it takes it takes an army to raise me. It does." No, trust me. Considering my last, who my last co-host was for eight and a half years, uh, this this has been easy for me. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just hope that my uh, my son hasn't been too much of a distraction here. He's feeding my Shih Tzu goldfish while we're trying to tape this thing here. So I will say that I saw the door pop open over your shoulder a couple of minutes ago, and I thought I, I was like, <laughs> "Breaking news! You're not alone anymore." Yeah. I didn't know who it was because they're my all little. My wife's all panicking, open. like she's trying to grab him, and I'm like, "No, Ash, it's cool." You know, and Greg Greg doesn't mind. Greg just bought a, bi- a ball python onto the show, for God's sake. So um, we're cool having the, the cast of characters behind us. Yeah, your props but, uh, beat my out, props. Check out Greg's latest columns. We mentioned Anthony Costanzo, also coronavirus, fall sports, the IMS, just how Indiana's handling it. TJ Warren's big night from the other night, Victor Oladipo's comment. Uh, like, subscribe, follow, at Greg Doyle Star, at Schultz975 as well on Twitter. And uh, until next time, Greg. Thanks so much, my man. Stay safe, all right? Thank you, and thank your wife for what she does in the hospital. She's a hero. Oh, will do. Yep.